Well, you should already be there in Philippians. And uh, this morning we'll be back in Philippians chapter 2. So you can make your way back just a couple chapters to Philippians chapter 2. But uh, as you turn there, I first just wanted to mention how much of a blessing it's been to be able to have Greg and Brittany, our gospel partners, here with us this last week. I hope you've had a chance to spend some time with them. Greg's back there if you haven't met him. Brittany's probably with Sienna somewhere. Uh, but I hope you've had a chance to spend some time with them this, this last week. If not, perhaps you'll get a chance to connect with them some today uh, or tonight at volleyball before they head out tomorrow morning. But I also wanted to highlight our gospel partners this morning for another reason. I want to tell a story about them and about us. Now, before I go further, I'm going to tell you up front, this is not a true story. Okay? This has not actually happened. Okay? It's just an illustration, but I do think this story will be helpful as we get back into the end of Philippians chapter 2. Okay, so let's, let's imagine that it's about six months from now. So we're looking at March of 2024. Greg and Brittany have been back on the field for a while. And let's just say that things are not going well. Okay, this is going to be a kind of a sad story. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> we actually get news from them that for whatever reason they have started to face serious opposition, unlike what they have faced in the past, both from the local people in their city, uh, but also from the government. In fact, it's gotten so bad that they shared with us that the government has frozen their bank account, and worst of all, Greg is being charged with an undisclosed crime against the country. Okay? The trial is set to take place before the end of next year, 2024, but it's unclear when. And in the meantime, Greg is prohibited from speaking publicly and cannot leave their city for any reason. Okay. Now, again, to be clear, this has not happened. Okay. And we, of course, hope that nothing like that will ever happen. But I do want us to think through what that would be like if it did happen. Okay. What if we got news like that from our gospel partners? How would we feel, and what would we do about it? Okay, in terms of how we would feel, I imagine we would be quite anxious for their family, and particularly for Greg, who's facing the charges. And I think we would also feel fairly helpless being, being here. I mean, in terms of what we would do, I, I think we would be stirred to pray fervently for this situation. But I also wouldn't be surprised if one of our first actions would be to try to get a small group together from our church to go and to try to bring them whatever we could and try to be there with the family to help however we could. Now, let's suppose that we decided to do that, to send, I want to keep going with the story, okay, decided to send a young couple from our church to do, to do this. I have not asked them about this, but Jordan and Emily, are you willing? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> So let's suppose it was Jordan and Emily Johnson. Okay. So after looking at what we already have in our church finances and after taking a special offering for this, we send Jordan and Emily quickly, as quickly as we could, out with significant cash from the church for Greg and Brittany, along with other gifts to support them and help them and encourage them. Okay. We also know that Jordan and Emily, being American citizens, can easily get a 90-day tourist visa 
into this country. And so our plan is actually not for them just to go and like drop off the gifts and come back, but our plan is actually to send them there for them to stay that 90 days as long as it takes you know, to, to try to help with the situation. Okay? So with much prayer, we, we see them off at the airport and we send them out on this particular mission. Now, sadly, I have to tell you something else very sad happens. Okay? On the way over, Jordan gets extremely ill. Okay? It's unclear whether he has contracted a virus or something even worse. Uh, the only news that we're able to get back is that they made it, but that Jordan's health is failing fast. Okay? And let me say again, this has not happened. Okay. Uh, but, uh, so I thought no person was harmed in the production of this story. Okay. So, but let's try to think as much as we can about what that would be like if that happened. What if we got terrible news like that? How would we feel? Okay, but not just that. I was saying, how would Jordan feel about all this? Okay, and then how would Greg feel about that? Okay. Okay, that's probably the longest illustration I've ever shared in six years here at this church. Okay, but I hope it'll be helpful because that story runs very parallel to the story behind the text that we are in today. Okay, so I think it's going to help us to think through it and to feel the text a little more. Okay, so let's go back to our text, Philippians chapter 2. In our last sermon in Philippians, which was two weeks ago, we finished the main exhortation or like the main charge in the letter that begins in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul gives his first and most important command in the letter. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay. That verse begins a long section that runs all the way to Philippians chapter 2, verse 18. And maybe remember the things that we are called to in that text. It's a call to unity, humility, selflessness, and obedience. And at the heart of that whole section is Jesus. And, and specifically his own example of humility and selflessness and obedience, which secured our salvation. Now, today, we move into a new part of the letter, Philippians 2, verse 19, and it is noticeably different. It has especially, uh, the whole section is different, but especially this text, okay? In fact, if you have read these 12 verses that are on the screen, okay, that, that text, okay, if, you, if you've read, let's say that you've read the whole book and you came across these verses, I imagine one of two things happened, okay? So you're reading through the whole letter, you come across these 12 verses, I wouldn't be surprised if you simply read through them and never thought about them at all. They are the easiest verses to skip over in this letter, without a doubt. Okay? Or the other thing that may have happened is you actually were reading through the letter and these verses caught your attention because they felt so out of place in the letter. And not that you like, thought these were the most incredible verses in the letter. They just caught your attention because you're like, I did not expect Paul to talk about those things in the middle of the letter, okay? So I'm going to talk some today about, about what's going on, but I want to just read through the whole 12-verse section so we get to see it, okay? So Philippians 2, 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus 
to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, and your messenger, your minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me too lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. As you can probably tell just from me reading those verses, that is a very different feel than the text we have been in lately, all of these charges and commands. And I could add that this is very different than what comes after it, too, in the letter. This section stands out, perhaps out of all of Paul's letters, to have a section like this right in the middle of the letter. Okay, instead of exhortations, commands, or deep theology, we get ministry updates. <clears throat> and instead of hearing about Paul or the Philippians, we get this long section about two specific guys. What, what, is Paul, what is Paul doing in the text? Okay. We're going to work through this, but I want to start with just a couple big picture observations about this. Did, did you notice when I read it that there are two clear sections in that 12-verse section okay. about two different guys? See, the verses 19 to 24, who are those about? Those are about Timothy. Verses 25 to 30, that's about Epaphroditus. Did you also notice, though, that in verse 19, when Paul's talking about Timothy, he says, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. But when you look at Epaphroditus, he has already sent Epaphroditus. Okay. So that, what that means is Timothy is not going with the letter. Epaphroditus is, is going with the letter. back. So he, Epaphroditus actually carried this letter back to Philippi. And when they read it, they were supposed to read and hear that Paul was hoping to send Timothy very soon after that. And then Paul even said, and I hope to be not far behind Timothy. Okay, so that's something to just think about. And then the second thing is I wanted to remind us that this is a friendship kind of letter. Okay, these are Paul's dear friends. So it should not surprise us that Paul shares a lot of ministry updates. In, in the letter. They actually care about this sort of thing. Okay? They are his dear friends. These are his gospel partners who have stood with him for 12 years by this point. So even though I think we read it and this section seems more distant to us, this section would have been very near and dear to them. Okay? Now, 
let's go back and start working through the, the part about Timothy. Look at verse 19. <clears throat> I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Okay, to make sure we're on the same page. Timothy is in Rome with Paul. <clears throat> Paul's under house arrest. Timothy's been there with him for a good while. When Paul sends the letter, he does not send Timothy. But he tells them, I hope to send him really soon. Okay, now, why does he want to send Timothy to them? Okay, one of the reasons, as you see in verse 19, is he wants to hear how they're doing. So he plans to send Timothy, he says, so that I can get a report about you and be encouraged. Okay. But that's not the only reason he wants to send Timothy in particular. Okay. It's not just to get an update. Paul chooses Timothy for a very specific reason. And this is what he goes on to talk about. Look at verse 20. It says, because I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for they all, all these other people that are around him, seek their own interest, he says. Not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How like a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. So why does Paul choose Timothy out of all the people he could choose? He says, it's because he trusts him completely. He's like a son to Paul. And Paul knows that Timothy will be the guy who will care for his friends like Paul would if he were there. He says, I have no one else like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul is saying, I know lots of people around me. And maybe you think back to these guys he talked about earlier in the letter who are preaching Christ out of envy, rivalry, selfish ambition. He says, I have lots of people around me that I would not send because they all seek their own interest. But that's not Timothy. <clears throat> Timothy is someone who embodies the mind of Christ. All the things that Paul has been calling the church to, Timothy embodies. He's a guy who does not look out for his own interests, but for the interests of others. And what he cares about is what Christ cares about, which is what? the good of the people of Christ. Okay, and so Paul says, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I figure out what's going to happen with me. So he's like, just as soon as I hear what's happening with the trial, I'll send him to you, and I trust in the Lord that I won't be far behind. Okay, now to the other guy, Epaphroditus. And he is a guy we never hear of outside of this letter. So he's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. But he is the guy that everyone in the church of Philippi knew better than any of the other guys. They knew him better than Paul. They knew him better than Timothy. This is, this is their guy. Okay, I want to read about this guy. Verse 25. Paul says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger, your minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And then we read this. And Paul says, indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. So Paul says he wants to send him, and he challenges the church to receive him in the Lord with all joy and to honor guys like this, because this guy risked his life to do for Paul what they couldn't do from far away. Now, I want to try to, 
I want to try to piece together the story behind that. Okay. So first off, who, who is this guy? Okay. We could say this is the guy who carried the letter. We have the letter to the Philippians because Paul wrote it and Epaphroditus carried it. Okay. That's why we have it. He's the guy who took it. He didn't send the letter with Timothy. He sent it with this guy, Epaphroditus. Okay, but, but who is he? You can tell from verse 25, this is a guy that meant a lot to Paul. Look at how Paul describes him. He's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. So he's, he's really important to Paul, but it's clear he's even more loved by the Philippians. He is a Philippian who has been sent by them to help Paul out. Do you see that in verse 25? He's your messenger. He is your minister to my need. Okay, okay so that's, that's who he is. But what exactly was he supposed to do? Why did they send him? Okay. So the first thing you could say is Epaphroditus was sent to bring lots of gifts to the Philippians. You remember what Joel read? That's the only other place that he's mentioned. Epaphroditus is mentioned at the end of the letter. And what does Paul say? I have received from Epaphroditus all the gifts you sent to me. They were a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Okay, this guy carried all of this money and these financial gifts a thousand miles from Philippi to Rome to help Paul on behalf of the church. Okay? Now, I think that the implication of the text is this, that he was sent there to stay there and to help Paul out for as long as Paul needed it. In other words, I don't think, as you read this and you start to think about it, that they sent these gifts with Epaphroditus and thinking, hey, just get there, drop them off, and come back home right away. They sent him there with the gifts to stay with Paul while Paul was under house arrest and to care for him and to meet his needs, to be their representative. They couldn't do it from far away. They sent him to be there for them, right beside Paul, through all of these things, through the trial, to help him. Okay. That's why Paul says he was your minister to my need. Now, that's who he is. That's what he was supposed to do. But what happened? What happened to him? Okay, we, don't, we don't get as many of the details as we would like. But what happened to him? is that he got very, very sick. So sick, in fact, that he nearly died. Okay, so I want, I want to come back. Can you think about that? Can you imagine that situation? This is why I told that story at the beginning of the sermon. Okay. So not only does he get extremely sick, news about that is sent back to Philippi, to his, to his church. Okay, so this... Shocking news comes back. Epaphroditus has made it, but he is on the verge of dying. Can you imagine what that would have done to the church? How would they have felt when they got that news? But then you think, okay, not just that, what would Epaphroditus have felt? Okay, what would Jordan feel? Okay. He was the guy. He was the Epaphroditus in the story. Okay. He, he's been sent there 
to help Paul. And he can't. And he can only imagine what his church family is thinking. And then can you imagine what Paul would have felt about all of this? Here's this guy, Epaphroditus, the guy he knows and loves, shows up with all of this money and all, this, all of these gifts. This is like this incredible joy. And then it doesn't take him long to realize there's something seriously wrong with him. And then Paul realizes he might die from this. Here's his supporting church sacrificing their money and their people to help him. And Paul's under house arrest. He cannot help him. He's watching him maybe die. This, this is the situation. You can only imagine how Paul would have prayed for him and how the church, when they heard about this, would have prayed for their own brother. And you think that the communication takes a long time in this. They would get the report of this, and they probably wouldn't get an update about this for quite some time. They would not know if he lived or if he died. Now, they plead with God for healing, and then what does God do? I mean, this is, a, this is the happy part of the story, right? God spared the life of his servant, and God healed him. And what did Paul see in that? What, how does he describe it? He doesn't actually say, we prayed and God healed him. What does he say? He says, God had mercy on him. And it wasn't just mercy on him. It was mercy on me. <laughs> Lest I would have sorrow upon sorrow. So, seemingly, as soon as Epaphroditus is well enough to make the journey back, Paul writes the letter to the Philippians. And he sends it with Epaphroditus, knowing that their reunion will bring them a lot of joy. And Paul challenges the church, welcome him back with all joy and honor guys like this because he put his life on the line for the work of Christ to help me in my need. Okay, that is, that is the text and that is uh, the story behind the text as far as we can tell. I want to try to help us to like, enter the story so we could feel a bit of what the characters in the story were feeling. But then, but then I think we have to step back and ask, okay, what are we supposed to do with that story? Like, what, what are we supposed to apply from this story and the great things Paul says about these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus? This is the hard thing about this text. You read other texts, and Paul's like, don't complain. And we're like, what should we do with that? You know, we're not, we don't ask that question. Okay? We read this text and we're like, I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. Okay, so on the one hand, I think this is too simplistic to just say this. Okay, But I don't think there's anything wrong with reading this text and saying, you know what? We should want to be like Timothy and Epaphroditus and not like the other guys <laughs> Paul talks about. Okay? After all, both of these guys actually put into practice the stuff Paul calls the church to in the, in the letter. Timothy does not look out for his own interest, but for the interest of others. That's like one of the main calls in the letter. Epaphroditus served all the way to the point of death. What does that remind you of? Jesus. Like both of these guys 
have embodied the mind of Christ, which was to not look out for his own interests, but to look out for the interests of others and to serve others, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. These guys embody that. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, you know what? Try to be like those guys. Don't be like the other guys Paul's talking about who all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. Okay? I think there's, there's something there. But that would be a little too simplistic to just say that's the only application from the text. And so I've been trying to think about this because this is not an easy, this is not an easy text to think through the application of. Because I've been trying to think, what should we take away from this, from this story? And so here, here are four things to close with that I, wanna, I want us to consider. Okay. One is I want you to, to look back at the text and I want you to see the centrality of Christ in very mundane, ordinary things. Okay. This text is about very ordinary stuff. And like it's about travel plans, updates, ministry updates, Okay, but did you see the role of Christ even in those things? Okay, look, look at how Paul talks about this. Look at verse 19. He does not say, I hope to send Timothy to you. What does he say? I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. Look at verse 24. He doesn't say, and I hope I can come too. What do you say in verse 24? And I trust in the Lord that I won't be far behind. Or what about verse 29? He doesn't just say, welcome this guy back to your church. What does he say? Verse 29. So welcome him in the Lord with all joy. From the plans we make to the welcome we offer each other. We do everything in the Lord. As Christians, we make our plans trusting in the Lord. We welcome one another in the Lord. There is no part of our lives that Jesus does not care about. There is no part of our lives that Jesus is not Lord over. There's no part of our lives outside of the Lord. Our whole lives are in the Lord, okay? I think of the text, Paul says, in him we move and live and have our being. Everything we do is connected to Jesus. Second, okay, I've been thinking about the mercy of God in healing the sick. One thing, as I thought about this text last couple weeks, I find it interesting and I think it's worth noting that Paul did not just heal Epaphroditus. It seems like there was, in fact, great uncertainty about whether Epaphroditus would ever get better from his sickness. And I think there's often a misunderstanding in our day about the New Testament era where we can kind of just think miraculous healings were happening all the time. And that if Paul or Peter wanted to, they could just heal anybody whenever they wanted to. And that is, that is not the way it was in the New Testament. There are miraculous healings in the New Testament. And I believe them. I believe those things happened. 
And there were even a couple of times where Paul and Peter were given power to heal many people. But those times stand out because they were not normal. They were not ordinary. Instead, what was far more normal as the church grew was that people in churches got sick. And God's people prayed. Paul prayed for his brother, not knowing for sure if he would get better or not. The Philippian church prayed for their brother, asking God to do what they could not do. None of them could make any demands on God to heal. They simply asked God. And God was pleased to heal for this man's good and the joy of the people of God. And did you notice how Paul describes it again? He says, God had mercy on him. And not just on him, but on me and on the whole church. God can heal and God does heal. And we should ask God to heal. And when he does, we should remember it was his mercy. It's never because God has to do it. It's his mercy to do it. And I think we can also remember that even if God chooses not to heal in this age, we have the hope of full and final restoration in the age to come. Jesus' death and resurrection has secured the full and final healing of all of God's people. Third, as I've thought about the text, I've been struck by the way Paul talks about Timothy. And I want to think about the mutual blessing of mentorship in the church. Okay, did you notice how Paul describes his relationship with Timothy? What does he say? It priced it out to you. He says, Timothy served with him in the gospel like what? Like a son with a father. Okay. Now, up until fairly recently in the world, it was normal for sons to follow in the footsteps of their dad. So if you had a dad who was a baker, it would be the assumption that the son would become a baker. If a dad was a barber, the son would become a barber. Okay? The son would be with his dad, he'd learn from his dad, and one day he'd take over for his dad. Paul is tapping into that picture when he describes Timothy serving with him like a son with a father. Okay? Timothy was like a son to Paul. He was Paul's son in the faith. Paul says this a few different times. And here we should remember, Paul had how many biological sons? Zero. Zero. Okay? But he had many sons in the faith. Many of them. And none of them was as close to him as Timothy. Paul invested his life in Timothy for decades. Paul mentored him, discipled him, took him wherever he went, showed him how to love and follow Jesus. And Timothy followed in the footsteps of Paul. But the question I've been thinking about 
is who benefited more from that relationship. And Because I, I think our natural tendency would be to say, it was Timothy. Timothy is the one who benefited the most. And, and of course, I think there's a way that that's the right answer. <laughs> okay. But what it's got me to think about is that the blessing of this relationship was mutual. Both Timothy and Paul were incredibly blessed from their relationship. Timothy grew to know and love Jesus because of Paul. Timothy gained a dad. But from the other perspective, Paul gained a son. And as Paul got older, he talks about this more and more in his letters. As he neared death, you can tell just how thankful he was to have a son like Timothy. How thankful he was to have somebody he could fully trust, who had fully embraced his mind for Christ. To have someone he knew would be able to carry the work on after he was gone. And so I just want to think about the mutual blessing of mentorship or discipleship. And perhaps we should ask, what Timothys are we investing in? Life is short. Who are the people you're pouring your life into that will carry the work on after you're gone? Who are the people that you will raise up that you will be able to trust fully? And then lastly, I want to just step back and think about the beauty of gospel partnership. The story of Paul and the Philippians as a whole is one of long-term gospel partnership. Today's story gives us a glimpse into the details a bit of the story. And, and I think this text reminds us that gospel partnership <coughs> was not always easy. And it certainly wasn't cheap. The Philippians gave of their money repeatedly. And they gave of their people. And Paul and the Philippians both had a lot more to be worried about because of their gospel partnership. (laughs) If they didn't have the partnership, none of this story would have happened. Epaphroditus probably wouldn't have got sick. They wouldn't have all been so anxious. It would have been easier in one way, right, without it. But when you look at the story, is that what stands out to you? When you read the letter, is that what you stand out to you? The hardships, the difficulties of gospel partnership? Or do you see the beauty of it? I hope you see the beauty and joy of gospel partnership. And in God's providence, this text has lined up really well with an extended visit from our own gospel partnership partners. This is the kind of relationship we want with them and with every gospel partner that we have <clears throat> where they truly know us and where we truly know them to the point that we would be deeply troubled if either one of us were in trouble and where we would do whatever we could to get there and to be there for each other in our times of trouble. May God grant us the joys of deep gospel friendships, growing gospel mentorships, and long-term gospel partnerships. Let's pray for that. Lord, I thank you for this text and opening 
our eyes to some of the life of our brothers and sisters in the early church. This is helpful for us. And Lord, we pray that we would be this kind of church where there would be deep gospel friendships, where there would be growing discipleship relationships, and where there would be long-lasting gospel partnerships. We pray for this. These are signs of a healthy church. And so we ask you to produce these things in us. And I pray that you, by your spirit, would take these things we've talked about and impress them in each of our hearts, however you see fit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.